What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. Today, I'm joined by Keith Kalfelt. He's a local basketball and performance coach that focuses on working with athletes in the weight room that actually impacts on-court basketball performance. Keith is a local Milwaukee guy playing at New Berlin Eisenhower and then going on to play at Concordia University. This is a great episode for any basketball player that's trying to improve. But honestly, even if you don't play basketball, you're going to learn a lot about training and how to manage stress in season. We talk about concepts related to microdosing, how to balance a training week, how to recover from stress. And we also have a deep dive on the foot and ankle. So this is a great episode for any athlete, but especially basketball players and families. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I am joined today by Keith Caulfield, a local basketball performance coach um, that focuses on working on athletes in the weight room to support their on-court basketball performance. So, Keith, I'm uh, really excited to to chat with you uh, today. We sat down a few weeks ago and had a long talk. It was just so good. I finished. I'm like, we've got to do this again, but record it so everyone else can enjoy it. So. Yeah, no, this is going to be awesome. I'm excited to give out some information. I'm excited to chop it up with you again. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. So um, whenever we have a guest on, I always like to start with a little bit about uh, background, um, how you got into performance training sure. in general and specifically kind of specializing in basketball. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm from the Milwaukee area. I went to New Berlin Eisenhower, graduated in 2012, and then I played basketball at Concordia, uh, D3 school, and I graduated in 2016. Um, I had a really good career, actually. I was All-State High School, uh, Thousand Point Club College. I was going to play pro, but I guess part of the reason why I wanted to get into what I do now is I always had physical limitations. Always. I always had injuries knee problem, hip problem, plantar fasciitis, foot problem, I was always banged up. So it's kind of like that what if, like what if I was actually healthy? What if I was actually like super athletic, you know? Cause I was like the guy that was like able to score and play well, but it was more so like IQ and skill. Like I was not at six, four, I could barely dunk. I don't think I had one dunk my entire, entire college career. <laughs> um, so that tells you right there, like, you know, that's a problem. So um, coming out of college, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like a typical college basketball player, I just wanted to play and yeah. I was going to go pro. Like that was the plan. That yeah. was the blueprint, right? Um, but I was always fascinated by the human body. Um, you know, even before I got into this industry, I always loved working out. I always wanted to know why. Like why is this guy jumping higher? Why is this guy stronger? Why are pros the way they are? Um, so then I went back to school. And I got into this industry. I started from the very bottom. Um, I started at this like big box, not even big box. It was a, a boxing gym. I was just cleaning and helping. And then from there, I just kind of moved up in the ranks. Um, definitely a long road, but I'm excited where I'm at now. Uh, currently training out of the pro lane in Waukesha alongside Drew Dunlap and Jake Grossman. Um, it's a great facility, but that's just a little bit about my background and how I got into yeah. what I do now. No, that's awesome. I was thinking about it after I left that I kind of forgot this, but my therapist, Brett, that works with a lot of our ACLs, basketball, he actually used to be a personal trainer at a nine round. So okay, I yeah. don't know which one, but uh, I'm going to laugh if you guys were actually started at the same. I don't know. We might have. It's, you know, and like I'm, I'm, I'm forever thankful for every gym and every opportunity because, yeah. you know, they pretty much let me on when I didn't have any experience or any education. Yeah. So you got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. So, you know, that's where I started and I made the most of it. So, you know, it's just a lesson for everyone else out there. Too. Yeah. And just good people skills and, and work ethic and you just got to learn. So for sure. All right, I want to start diving into philosophy. Okay. Uh, when we spoke 
last week i thought you had a great philosophy overall yeah um, and i know the first thing you said when you sat down and started to lay out what you believe in was that you believe in good movement at the center so right. what do you look like or what do you look for and how do you evaluate athletes moving yeah, I mean, first of all, you can't just generalize exercise. And I feel like in my industry, uh, for, for performance training, not just basketball, but any sport, there's a lot of general, like, you must do this. Like, yeah. you must squat two times your body weight. You must blah, 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 right? Um, so it's not really just bigger, faster, stronger anymore. It's really not, especially for the game of basketball. Um, so my clientele ranges all the way from fifth grade to NBA. And that is a huge range, so it always depends, right? Yes. I'm not going to analyze a fifth grader the same way I would one of my G League or NBA guys. Um, but essentially, first, you have to just look for any red flags, as I'm sure you guys do yep. in your facility, is if I see anything in movement, and this is all structured around movement, that is a red flag or is going to be a problem, then I try and correct it. Yeah. Now, going back to the level of you know player, a lot of these guys that are higher up that are pros probably not the best idea to mess with their movement yeah because they're getting paid a lot of money yeah. you know unless like like i said unless there's a red flag why would i come in and be like no you got to squat this way you got to move this way it's yeah. just it doesn't make sense yeah. right um but essentially what i do is i always reverse engineer so i see what the problem is or i see you can call it a problem if they want to get faster or jump higher yeah and let's reverse engineer joint by joint approach okay they need more mobility in this area more strength here more deceleration here more eccentric strength you name it right yeah but you just have to go kind of step by step and look at these athletes and say okay what do you actually need to improve yeah everyone's different you know a lot of these younger kids you can generalize like strength is always going to be with progressive overload like the key yeah like that's you know that's that's usually how it works with like middle school high school like progressive overload get them stronger you'll see the vertical go up you'll see mobility increase that's pretty much how it goes yeah now as we get to college and pro that's where i kind of have to take the scapel approach as opposed to a hammer you can just hammer these kids out boom 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 but when you get older and more specialized that's when you need to be more thorough with what you do yeah no i i mean i just love that and i see so many people um we work with like a lot of baseball players sure. and similar analogy that you could and I've seen this with some of our guys that they'll go and throw somewhere and someone will just walk up and want to start messing with their mechanics. It's not perfect. <laughs> right, and it's like, right. okay, this guy's a major league player. And I think when you start working with some of the best in the world, some of them do things differently. Right. And it's easy to be like, oh, that's different than my model of movement. Right. But, right, right. Is, but they're also elite. So are they elite because they're different yeah. or are they doing it in spite of that i mean speaking on baseball players i think they did some studies where some guys had some extra internal rotation give yeah. them more torque and that's why they can throw faster right exactly so same thing with my guys like you see those guys that are super wound up with those internally rotated hips like that yeah. might be why they're so elastic and explosive yeah so why am i going to be like let's externally rotate and let's make you slower right you know no i know i i see it basketball players with tight ankles and, and obviously it can be taken to an extreme where it's really limiting but like anecdotally the most bouncy guys that i've ever worked <laughs> right, with right. have super tight ankles and everyone wants to mow them and stretch them like i mean don't get me wrong we've got to we've got to make sure they can at least get in the positions and stay safe not put them in compromised right. situations it's going to blow out a knee or something but like yeah. 
are we sure? Are, have you really thought through this? Like, yeah, that's like, what makes him special. Like, they, they've been doing this for 20 plus years or whatever, 18 years. Yeah. And so why am I going to come in and be like, well, by the book, you need more dorsiflexion in your ankle. So yes. let's work on that. And then all of a sudden they get hurt or yeah. something else happens, you know? Yeah. So it's just, when you look at it, movement is king, right? Absolutely. A lot of people think bigger, faster, stronger, put them under a bar. But for me, I'm like, you know, basketball has changed over the past 20 years. Yeah. People favor movement over strength now. Now, there's there's an argument to be made where, like, some guys rely on strength, and that's fine. Yeah. But generalizing, like, if you can move well and efficient, you're going to be a better ball player. Yeah. I love that term efficiency. It's what we talk about in the way that we, with almost every sport, we think efficiency is the key. It's And we look at efficiency, it's, like, the highest possible outputs with the lowest possible cost. Love that. And that could be stress on the arm we want the highest arm speed with the lowest elbow torque that could be vertical jump height we want the maximal height with you know the relatively quote-unquote best movement mechanics to get there right but it just gets to be this thing and then that over the course of the seasons and course of years you can be more efficient with really high outputs every game is going to be a lower energy cost it's going to be less stress on your body you're going to recover better you're going to it just it's just so important, and um, I just I love that that term. It's just something that we harp on with people again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think the other interesting thing, while we're kind of on this model of movement and yeah. something else that I really love, when we were talking about, is that you obviously talk about wanting to see players move differently. Yeah. Like a six foot guard <laughs> and a seven foot center yeah. should display different movement qualities, and yeah. they're going to have different roles. So. What do you what do you see as some like key elements when you look at on court movement patterns for some specific positions? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you just want to make sure like you actually see them move. Uh, you know, so for all my guys, if you talk to all my clients, they'll tell you I watch all their film, not in the sense of like, oh, let's see how their skill is, but I watch how they move. Yeah. You know? um, but when I actually get them in the weight room, you're kind of looking at their anthropology, right? So you're looking at their limb length, torso length, joint mobility. A seven footer is not going to train the same way or play the same way or move the same way as a six three, six two guy. Yep. It's just not gonna happen, right? Now unfortunately, what I see in my profession is a lot of these taller guys are trained the same way as a smaller guy. Yep. Especially in the lower ranks, like lower level college, lower level and I not lower level high school. Um and it's just completely backwards, right? Because a lot of people stick to the old anecdotal I need to do a squat and I need to do a bench and I need to do a deadlift and then a hand clean. And then you look at these guys with these long limbs just throwing this bar around and you're like, they're going to get hurt. Yeah. And that the goal is power. Like they're not even, it's just a low back heave. Yeah. We're not even accomplishing what we want to accomplish. Right? right. So again, it comes back to reverse engineering. So I always look at my guys and I'm like, okay, let's say I have a 6'10 guy. Okay. You want to be stronger and quicker. Well, let's actually do stuff that's going to help that. So maybe it's a partial range of motion squat for strength. Yeah. Maybe it's actually working on extensive plyos as opposed to just, you know, box jumps and whatever, like extensively so they can actually move their feet correctly and the tendons get healthier. Right. Like there's things that are going to benefit basketball players more than just the traditional like three by 10, three by eight. Here's what we're going to do. Get out of there and go play. Yeah. You know, it has to complement the core. Yeah. So when you're looking, when you're asking me about how would I judge you know, different body types, it, it always just depends. Yeah. Everyone has different needs. Yeah. You know, so um, that's, that's how I look at it. And it just is really important for people to understand that, like, you know, the big one you hear for basketball is, like, coaches tell everyone, get down, get down to the ground. Like, your big guy's not getting down. 
And he might not have the mobility to get down. Yeah. And he definitely doesn't have the power to get out of that deep range of motion. Right. So you're actually making him slower. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, what are we actually preaching here? Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's just physics too. Like, I mean, we talk about it with guys, I mean, not to bore everyone on the podcast with <laughs> physics, but like what we're looking at is work and it's the distance traveled with the weight essentially. Yeah. And they're going, their partial range of motion, quote unquote, is probably moving that bar the mm-hmm. same amount of a shorter player that's not quite as tall. So, right. you know, it's just allowing some flexibility and, and uh, seeing that their needs are different, what they're being asked to do on the court. Yeah, the demands, right? And and here's the big thing is like I always say shin angles win in basketball. Yeah. Right? So if you look at these shifty guards, their hips are internally rotated. They're coming at you with a wide base and their shins are pretty much pointed towards the ground. Yeah. I'm not going to ask a big guy to do that. He's no. messing something up, right? Yeah. But my point with that is there's some things that the traditional weight room won't help with. Right. You know, I, I can't duplicate that kind of force they're getting under a bar. There's just no way they would crumble. Yeah. Right. So there's other exercises and other things we can do to enhance that. Right. But it always comes down to the player. Always. No. That's great. I think it's just a really good philosophy. And, you know, we talk a lot about it and it sounds like what you have is, you know, we have a model of movement mm-hmm. that we, I'm one of my favorite quotes from somebody is like, you know, good, like movements, amoral. Everyone wants to say like good, bad. And like, I wish it was that simple, but it's not an excuse to just not say like, Oh, everything's okay. Right. right. And so right. we always talk about it. Like we try to build a model. We have to have a starting spot of, and we go back to that efficiency idea. I can, you can, there's different squat techniques, toes out in different depths, different yeah. foot widths, yeah. right? But how do you know what's good? It's going to depend on that person. But if we don't have somewhere to start for, of like, this is what we think is the most efficient way to move this bar and then allow some variability, you're just like wandering in the dark at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's almost like in 2022, about to be 23, we live in the era of um, paralysis by analysis. Yes. You know, so all of my athletes, and I'm saying all of them, have access to social media. Yeah. We live in the era of I can type in best vertical jump, best way to get shifty. And I even do it on my Instagram too. Um, but like, is that necessarily good for you? Right. Are you doing more harm than good? Yeah. And that's like the biggest piece to the puzzle right there. Right. You Does know? that exercise fit your body type and your needs? And I think that's one of the things that just like looking at these these baselines and, and we can go all the way down like, okay, there's this baseline requisite amount of ankle dorsiflexion that you need. Sure. Right. Sure. More than that, maybe some players will have it, but you know, if you can hit like these baselines, it's probably good enough. And then we could take that to strength and power and relative strength and all those things. And after that point, it's once you hit that baseline, it's probably not going to affect your on-court performance, right? Correct. So like, yeah, that fifth grader needs to get stronger. Right? I've never <laughs> met a fifth grader that's as strong as an NBA right, player. Right, right, right. But, you know, at some point they can start checking these things off and then it's yeah. like accentuating the player's strengths, like what makes them really unique and like building off of that and then bringing up their weaknesses and trying to keep everything in balance from an injury standpoint, um, but not force feeding like you will do X because and, I train basketball players and they all do this. Right. And, and there's a big ego in my industry um, as, as you know, as there should be rightfully. So a lot of people do some great things in this industry. Um, but I think the biggest piece of that puzzle that we haven't talked about yet is actually just managing stress. Yes. Uh, you know, and I know we talked about this already, but it's like, uh, we're in basketball season, no matter what level you're in. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a lot of these programs at any level 
are, no matter what, lifting on Tuesday and Thursday, or let's just say Wednesday and Thursday, no matter what, and they're going to do a full body strength and power day. Yeah. What about your guy that played 30 minutes on Tuesday? You think he should be doing that yeah. the day after a game? Yeah. You know, so like my philosophy with my guys and everyone that trains with me knows this is keep your high days high and your low days low. Yep. There has to be some type of recovery. We're not dodging the weight room by any means. We're just doing it in a more intelligent way because like, like I say, my biggest role is to make sure that you play well. Yeah. I could care less about the weight room. Like it's a tool that I use to help you play, but I'm not going to be like, well, my sheet says that we're going to go 65% on a Mac and whatever. Like, no, like, you know, you're sore, you're tired. Okay, maybe we just restore range of motion. Maybe we work on your joints a little bit and you're out of here. Yeah. You know, so that the stress is the biggest one for me. Yeah. No, and I think that's that's perfect. It kind of leads me into a question I was going to ask you. Um, just that, you know, like you said, basketball is year-round. It's high school, it's AAU, then it's skills season. Yeah. And, I mean, that there's, there's probably some benefit to that. Like, I think you're seeing more... Um, technically gifted basketball players now like if that if that's a fair way to say yeah yeah um but if that fifth grader that we're talking about yeah is continually sacrificing performance training over the course of years and just not doing it Uh, always in season (laughs) right right. that's going to have a long-term impact on like their ceiling and that's kind of how we say like you and your you said yourself like you were very technically sound really intelligent but potentially a little limited athletically 100 so how do you get players to balance over the course of this busy full year competitive season now actually training and improving their athleticism while playing game and practicing and not taking that away yeah and and let me start with like i'm all for multi-sport athletes i think it's the best way to go especially for younger kids because you get exposed to more stimulus yes it's not just the constant movement pattern over and over again and like the overwork now, with that, I do get why people specialize because, yeah. again, I'm looking at some of these younger kids these days and I'm like, if I was a sixth grader now, I don't know if I'd be able to hang. Yeah. You know, and I, I wasn't that like I'm not that old. Um, so one of my favorite things is when parents will reach out to me and they're like, you know what? We're just going to wait till after the season. And I'm like, well, what season are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about here? And, and it, it's almost a plague in the basketball industry. And. I feel like compared to other industries, football, baseball, basketball training is behind in terms of like physical development, right? Yeah. We're always taught like more is better. Outwork, outwork. I'm in the gym till 2 a.m. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. And I'm like, why? You know, why are we doing this? Um, So I always look at it as risk versus reward. So I've had a handful of people in the middle of the season come to me and be like, I want to improve my vertical jump. And I'm like, well, it's December. (laughs) We're in the middle of your season. And I say it's possible, but just know, like, training for performance is not the same as training for longevity. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, we can get after this. We can do it. And could we adapt possibly if we're on top of everything? But just know it comes with a risk. Are you willing to take that risk? You know, always educate the client on what they're going to or what they should expect. Um But in terms of mapping out the entire year, it's a nightmare for a lot of parents. And I Mm -hmm. understandably so. But I think there has to be some type of intelligent approach to it. And I always say, even if it's not me, hire someone to help you. You have to hire someone to help you. Yeah. Because you don't want to be that too little, too late case where it's like, oh, man, you know, we had eight AAU tournaments in a row and my son blew his knee out. Well, it's a little too late now. Yeah. Now you have to play the catch up game, right? 
You'd rather be safe than sorry. And a lot of people forget, like, yeah, basketball, and I'll be the first one to say this, the skill is more important than what I do. Like, you have to be able to shoot the ball. You have to be able to dribble the ball. Yes. But don't forget what's doing it, your body. If you're hurt and you can't move, I don't care how good you are, you're on the bench. Yeah. And what are we doing? Right. All of a sudden, like, these rankings don't matter, these tournaments don't matter because you can't play. Right. You know, so I just urge people listening to this if you are a basketball player like don't forget about the performance and it should not just be a summer thing a lot of my guys in the past that have come to me and girls you know your performance will go down around december january february due to lack of recovery due to too much stress overuse and it's like you know my job is to make sure you're actually playing well Right. Right. And a lot of people think, oh, strength guy, he's just going to lift. Like, no, like we will, but like to match the court. Right. So it's, a, it's truly a year round thing. I mean, you look at anybody at a high level overseas NBA, what are they doing? Lifting year round. It doesn't stop. Yeah. You don't want like the tissues to break down. You don't want the body to break down halfway through the year. And how many high school kids or college kids listening to this right now? Oh man, I can't dunk now. Oh, well. Like, that's not good. Like, well, you can't, what do you mean you can't dunk anymore? Like, that's not normal, you know? Yeah. And I used to say that all the time. Like, I could dunk, but, like, during the season, I wouldn't because I'd be so broken down. Yeah. And I never understood why. Like, oh, I guess I'm just not athletic. It's like, no, I didn't know how to manage my stress. Yeah. Well, there's these, like, training, these training residuals that, like, you know, certain things last a long time. Like, let's say you are the kid that just, okay, I have more free time over the summer, so I'm going to lift really hard. Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, yeah. you're still playing a youth season, so are you recovering all of that? But let's say that is you, and you you manage your recovery. You're able to see improvement. You keep it going even into the fall, and then now you just stop, right, as the season started. Like, okay, some of your conditioning and your strength, that maintains for a long time. But, yep. like, your power, your speed, that really only lasts about 10 days or so yeah if you don't keep like touching on it yeah and people that are like oh but i practice and we jump a lot it's like i mean yeah that's probably true but but when you're jumping in practice you're you're jumping in practice because you have to you're not like giving <laughs> there's a difference between like oh i, I ran effort. yeah and i gave a max effort sprint or yeah. i gave a max effort jump yeah and if you don't touch on that like it will just fall. It will fall off, um, regardless of everything else. And I love that because, like that, that's gonna take me into the system I I've taken, um, and I got it from the Phoenix Sun strength coach. It's called microdosing, right? Um, but basketball is kind of like that middle ground. Yep. So when's the last time a basketball player like maximally, maximally jumped or exerted themselves more than five times in a game? Doesn't usually happen. Yeah. You know. So you see a couple of camps with basketball training. A lot of people are just like, I'm just doing plyos. That's like the cool thing to say now. Yeah. Like plyos, I'm going to jump higher, plyos. Or it's just like strength training, right? But it's like, you know, extensive plyos, longer duration, lower level. Great idea because you don't really do that on the court. And then that high level stuff you were talking about, almost like a velocity, speed, strength type yeah. thing. Like that's a great idea to keep your power high, right. you know? And it's like that middle ground and a lot of kids train for like endurance. When What I mean by that is like, they'll do like a, a trap bar jump and then they'll go into like a drop jump and then they'll just keep going and going and going because they're not tired, right? you know? And I had a discussion with a team I was training yesterday. I'm like, guys, like we're trying to get as high as we can. Rest. Yeah. Rest. Yeah, take three to five minutes. Rest. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you're trying to achieve a goal. And I always like to give my clients targets, whether it's the rim or a certain height or whatever. Yep. Right? Um, but understanding that, like, 
basketball, you're constantly moving and constantly going, but it's like a, a middle to high pace. It's never all the way and it's never low. Yeah. So let's train that. Let's train what we don't do. Yes. Let's you know? cover those cover those basics. Right. Right. No, I I um I like that. I think that microdosing is a really good idea. And I mean, just people aren't familiar. Like, what's that concept kind of like? How's it different than just like going to the gym for an hour? Yeah. Days a week? Yeah. I didn't even touch. Um, <laughs> I didn't even touch on what it is. Um. So microdosing is very unique and it's newer. And like I said, I got the guy's name is Corey and he trains the Phoenix Suns. Um. So what microdosing is, is typically in a structured college, high school, or pro level, you see one to two to maybe three lifts per week, okay? Now, let's say we skip one, okay? Then all of a sudden, you only have one per week. And then if you can't make that one, then you get none, right? So what you see, if you map out your week, keeping the high days high and low days low, you'll have a game, and then usually the day after is a lift. That's another high stimulus, right? And then if we squeeze in another one, it's another high stimulus, and then a game high stimulus. So you're never really recovering. So what microdosing allows is it's like 25 to 35 minute workouts. And to most people, that sounds crazy. Yeah. Like the, what? Like that's not enough. But like the goal is to do it five to six days a week, sometimes two workouts a day. Right. Right. Where you look at input versus output. Like this is an output based session to actually achieve this goal. Strength, power, you know, accessory work. Right. Yeah. Or on an input session, you do like a mobility flow. Or you do more of like a, an FRC, like CAR, pails and rails type thing, right? Um, establishing full range of motion and joint mobility. So microdosing is cool because like you could almost use it as a warm up or as a cool down. Yes. It's part of practice, right? And that's what these high level teams are doing is it's like there's kind of like a gray area and it's like performance training is black. And skills training is white. And in that gray area, nothing happens. Yeah. What microdosing allows is for people to go in that gray area and be like, the weight room is an extension of the court. Right. You know, so for my guys yesterday, we did a, I call it, uh, Corey calls it this too, a turbo day. Right. So turbo day, I mean, it's pretty clear. Speed. Yeah. Move. Like we're moving. And the guys didn't have to warm up before practice. We lifted before. Didn't have to warm up. They went right into it because they were primed. Yep. That's potentiation. Right. If, if you guys know about potentiation, it just gets you ready. Right. So I love microdosing during the season. And you could even argue maybe off season you can do it if you're AAU. Yeah. Now, for the pros and college guys, I'll probably do the traditional hour awesome. block, whatever. Yeah. Right. It always comes down to the individual. Just yeah. like how we started this podcast. No, exactly. We love it. We use it a lot with hamstring strains because the number one thing that we have to get people doing if they pull their hamstring during rehab is sprinting. Yeah. And not like running, but like sprinting, sprinting, <laughs> going. Right. <laughs> Well, even once they get back to practice, they will do a lot of running. But in a typical practice, there's very little sprinting. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do that in a way that doesn't fatigue them? And the easiest way is at the end of their warm-up, every single day, they do one set of between 5 and 20 yards of yeah. sprints. Yeah. And it's we kind of just set it out, periodize it. So every single day, just about, or at least you know, a certain number of days, they're at least hitting like one max out <laughs> Like effort, a stimulus, though. a stimulus yeah. to keep their hamstring going so that it decreases their rate of tear. So that's where we don't do it as extensively as you do, but we incorporate that concept a lot into that rehab and maintenance stuff once people go back. 100%. And, you know, again, what is that? That's progressive overload. Exactly. You know, and, and so like, again, the, the, the basic stuff works. It's just how you set it up. Right. It's all about how you set it up. Right. So. I put a lot of my information on social media and I put it out there, my exercises, all this stuff. And some people ask me like, oh, are you worried about people taking it? Or like, no, because it's about how you set it up. Yeah. You know, the difference between medicine and poison is the dosage. 
Right. You know, so it's like, <laughs> That's okay. so yeah. you got to look at it and just reverse engineer everything yeah. going back to that. So microdosing, again, if you guys don't know, if you don't understand it, look it up. If you're a basketball player, I highly recommend it during the year for yeah. sure. No, I think it's the easiest, easiest way to uh, keep that going. Yeah. Let's um, shift gears just a little bit uh, okay. because I think one of the most interesting things that I was getting from you, and I honestly, we didn't get that deep, and I want to selfishly <laughs> yeah. learn a little bit more, but you talked a lot about the importance of the feet yeah. with yeah. basketball players especially. So why why do you find the feet to be so important and impactful for players? Yeah, well, first of all, 26 bones, 33 joints in the foot. Yes. Okay, there's a lot going on down yeah. there. It was my least favorite kinesiology test. So, <laughs> yeah. The axis of the rotation all shifts and right. in different planes of motion. Right. Yeah. There's a lot going on. But again, like with that, like we're joking about that, but like people don't touch that. There's yeah. so much going on at the foot. And for basketball players, what hits the ground? Your feet. Yeah. You know? So what you see is a lot of, I mean, the most common injury in basketball is an ankle sprain. Yep. So we're looking at the foot ankle complex. That is the most sensitive. Now, unfortunately for a lot of guys, they get an ankle sprain and what do they do? Lock it up. Yep. Right. So I look at the foot and ankle in a unique way, because if you can't move, not just move, but be strong in your foot and ankle, nothing else is going to happen. It's like trying to run on ice. Yeah. Like you're, you're not stable. You can't produce max force. Right. Right. So, and you'll know this better than anyone. Usually, usually if there's a foot and ankle problem, it usually goes up the chain. Yes. All of a sudden we're talking about knees, hips, low back. Right. Yep. So there's just so much not to bore everyone with like the science on like why I do and the drills I do. It's just the foot is such an underlooked area for basketball players. And this is what I'm going to harp on basketball players for, too. We love shoes yes. and our shoes are terrible for our feet in yes. so many ways. Yeah. And these kids are in these shoes 24 seven. Right. So like there's um, sensors and receptors in your foot. Right. And here's the analogy I got from somebody um, that I admire. He says it's like trying to type with <clears throat> gardening gloves. Yeah. You can't tell what you're doing. Right. So a lot of the times these kids in these shoes, their feet aren't actually working correctly. Yeah. Right. And for everyone that's listening to this, like there's a direct correlation to lack of mobility in your ankle and lack of foot strength and then knee pain. And yes. you keep going up the chain and I don't need to keep talking about that, but like, that's why I focus on the feet so much. Yeah. No, and I think for some reason with feet, we uh, we always just, as a medical community in particular, we go towards just like instantly putting people in supportive insoles or, mm -hmm. and like your feet have muscles, they have joints, yeah. they have nerve endings. Yeah. Um, we, I don't do as much, but um, one of my therapists, Sydney, does a ton with feet. Um, she also sees a lot of runners and sure. so lots of foot problems there. Yeah. Um, and in no way like a mocking thing or anything, but if you ever YouTube um, videos of people that, that don't have hands, yeah. right? And you look at your your feet have all of the same joints, muscles yes. um, as your hands yes. with the exception of you don't have opposable thumbs in your feet. Your big toes don't kind of come across. All right. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, you theoretically can move every single toe individually. You can have like toe dexterity to be able to do things. Yeah. People that are, are forced to use them um, like that as like other appendages are able to do that. We just put them in these like big prisons. <laughs> and then if you ever have pain, they just throw you in a supportive orthotic. Yep. And then your feet just rely on that. They get weaker. Yep. They often get stiffer. Yep. Um, 
but they're able to be exercised just like anything else. And anyone that's caught a foot cramp knows that there's muscles down 100%. There. And, like, it's funny because, like, I do a bunch of toe. Big toe extension is a huge yep. concept for me. Um, I mean, think about this. When you drive to the hoop, your back leg, if you can picture what I'm saying right now with a bent knee pushing towards the hoop, you're in big toe extension. So if you can't do that, you know, it's going to impact how you move and impact your body, right? Yeah. So I do all these you know, toe exercises where you're lifting the toes up, you're hugging your foot and you're moving it around. And it's just, it's not like a sexy thing to talk about. Like, Hey, we're going to work on your feet today. But like, it's such a huge deal. Yeah. It really is such a huge deal. And people need to really understand that. Um, so if your strength coach or PT never touches on your feet, that's usually a problem. Yeah, no, usually a problem. Absolutely. Um, but and and the other thing I can say about this, if, if you pause, if you're watching a basketball game and you pause your favorite player, their feet are at this angle where they're turned out or turned in. It's some weird, bizarre, like, you won't notice it until you really look for it. Like, and that's, kids want to move like these pros, but they don't have that range of motion or strength. Yes, or control. Correct. Um, it goes all the way. We just keep going on this, but we see it a lot with, even as you watch people laterally lunge, right? Yeah, they, yeah, like, yeah. can't. They'll like rock out on one side and their other foot will come off. They can't keep their feet flat. They can't control those foot and ankle to like maintain a good foot contact. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you go back to a lot of ankle sprains. Well, if you're laterally lunging, you're almost rolling your ankle at a slow speed. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, like, yeah. am I shocked that you go and plant and cut at high speeds and it turns even more? So, yeah. Yeah. There's just so much. There's a lot of low hanging fruit there. And not as we keep talking about in season, there's a cost to everything. Um, we have to be. You have to be aware of your training intensities and stuff. You know, exercising your feet is a pretty low stress thing, right? Like even yeah. if you played, yeah, it's not going to fatigue you by doing no. some simple foot exercises. If, if if you're a client of mine, I give out what's called um, daily movement exercises, right? And a lot of those are foot or hip things. Yeah, it's a big uh, area for basketball players. But the way that I really train the feet, some people think it's like like you're just lifting your toe. Like there's something called a Polish box, yep. or you could do a slant board, right? So going back to extensive plyos is you just work pronation or supination of the foot through a plyometric, right? And, and like what sport is really doing that? Not many, but again, that's a way to build up the tolerance. It's almost like GPP for your foot. Yeah. You know, like you're building up the tolerance in your foot and ankle extensively. So there's not a high risk for it, but your foot is getting used to getting into pronation or getting into supination and then exerting out of it. Yeah. You know, that's just a good strategy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up Polish boxes or slant boards you'll see what I'm talking about with that too. Yeah. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's awesome. All right. I have two questions and honestly, they might be the same question. So <laughs> feel free to answer it one time or, or take it in whatever way, but yeah, yeah. Um, kind of getting around some mistakes that you see high school players make in their performance training. Okay. And along the same line, <laughs> what you wish people understood about improving on court performance in the weight room. I have a feeling your answer is maybe, maybe <laughs> similar. similar. Uh, so I don't yeah. want to pin you down to have to come up with two things. Yeah. So let, let's start with mistakes. Like, and then I might cover the other one yeah. too. Okay. So first of all, um, the whole random workout thing. I can't tell you the amount of kids. And again, nothing wrong with it. Like you don't know what you don't know. But when they come to my initial assessment or I'm talking to a parent, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been on TikTok. Okay. Let me stop you right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like that, you always need to make sure it's an actual program. Like, and you're actually addressing needs, not just do this to dunk, do this to jump higher. Like that's a mistake. I see a lot of high school kids make that actually does more harm. The other one is like, there's kind of like two camps right now in basketball training. One, it's like, we're going to lift and be tough blue collar, like barbell, 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 shove it down their throat. And then the other camp is like bands and mobility. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's get in the middle. Let's yeah. do both. You know, that's, you got to get the full spectrum. Yeah. Welcome to 2022. There can be no nuance. No, no, yeah. no. It's like, I'm all or nothing on lifting and being super strong and we're going to get big and jacked. My guy's gained 20 pounds of muscle in two months. Okay. And then the other camp is like, well, we're conservative. Basketball players don't need to lift. Let's do band only workouts. Let's get the Vertimax out and let's stretch. Yeah. You know, so get in the middle ground with that. Um, another one is just like not listening to their body. So yeah. many people just ignore pain. And I think you guys made a post about this. Like pain is an alert in your body. Like yeah. it's alerting you. It's not normal. Yeah. Right. So too many guys are like, yeah, my knee hurts. But today's squat jump day. I'm going like, why? Yeah. Did you get better today? Yeah. yeah what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, so uh, um, those are some of the big ones that I see. Um, and then with that, I can add like too much or too little. So yeah. going back with that, like band versus weight discussion, a lot of guys do too much. Like I'm going to outwork everyone. I'm going to lift every day. And then it's like, well, you're constantly fatigued and you're not adapting and, or actually you're probably negatively adapting and like, you're not getting better. Yeah. Or the guys better at moving slow. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Right. Or the guys that do too little, like I'm not going to lift now. Cause you know, I don't want to ruin my game. It's like, well, you're about to find out what happens if you don't like your body's going to get weaker, slower, all that jazz. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like that middle ground and it's just knowing how to interpret stress. That's yeah. the biggest thing I can tell people listening to this podcast is your body that can't tell the difference from schoolwork, a breakup, exercise, stress, stress is stress, right? Yeah. So knowing how to interpret that and understand that is a huge deal. Yeah. And sleep. We, like that's another, that's a yeah, different rabbit hole. Yeah, that could be a hole. whole podcast. <laughs> we, that's a different rabbit hole. Yeah. If people are interested, we do have some resources that are um, downloadable, but just to briefly touch on it, like some fascinating studies with sleep and free throw percentage that you can increasing sleep by two hours a night incre- improve college basketball players free throw percentage by 10 percent yeah and also decrease their sprint time so yeah go to sleep especially in the middle of the season you will play better yeah <laughs> yep. without a doubt yeah um so what i mean from a from a parents and family standpoint because i know this is something that can be tough but what's I, my perception sometimes is that especially when people talk to strength coaches that they're they have this expectation mm-hmm. that their kids are going to go in and just get like chewed up in the weight room like they should come home dragging dripping oh my god yeah um so like what's something that you understood about or wish like some families understood about how the weight room should be used mm-hmm. to actually improve on core performance and like why why does just getting better in the weight room not make you a better basketball player yeah i mean well i mean let's look at it this way anyone who's played basketball if you're a parent or if you just understand the game of basketball unfortunately the best weight room guys usually aren't the best basketball players yeah straight up right so a lot of times in team sports um bigger faster stronger does work it does but there's such a high skill component to basketball like there's something special about basketball players it's just different than most other sports. There's rhythm and timing, being able to relax, being able to contract, movement in different planes of motion. You have to do everything with a ball. You have to be alert. There's so many different aspects that go into basketball training than just like, let's lift, Yeah. right? So a lot of the parents, you know, or I mean, I guess coaches even, yeah. they'll be like, yeah, this guy needs to get stronger. And I'm like, pause, why? Like, what does that mean? Right. Oh, he needs to get bigger. Wh- what does that mean? Like, why? Yeah. You know, and like, oh, he needs uh, he's not he's getting pushed around. OK, just understand then he's probably going to be slower. There's a higher risk of his joints hurting him. Like there's other things that are going to happen. Yeah. You know, so parents, you need to understand that the game has changed. Yeah. The game has changed drastically. 
Non-contact injuries are at an all-time high. Why is that? Well, one, it's because of the overuse we've been talking about this whole podcast. But two, basketball players are allowed to move more. So even back in my day, you could body somebody up. Therefore, we would value strength more, right? Now you can move more. If you touch a guy, it's a foul. So you get these high velocities, high speeds, and then all of a sudden, boom, I blew up my knee because it wasn't ready to handle that load. Yeah. Right. So like that has to change and we have to change how we actually train people to be ready for the demands of the sport. Right. Always football, basketball, lacrosse, tennis. It doesn't matter. Right. So understand this. It's okay if your son or daughter doesn't come back or if your player doesn't come back and they're not sore. That's okay. You know, because as far as I'm concerned, I have failed as a strength coach, especially with a good program. If my client is always sore and they go into their skills or their game and their jumper is broke. Yeah. I failed. Yeah. Like, like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? There's a way you can get around it, proper dosaging, where they're not going to be super sore or fatigued. Yeah. But we're still adapting. Right. Or you times know? of the year, you know, when they're not competing. Right. Probably cool if they're sore for a couple of weeks. Like, yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, I think there's like a lot, when Kevin Durant first came out, there's like a big thing about the combine. I I don't think he'd even bench press 135 like once, right? <laughs> yep, correct. And people were criticizing him. That seems like it's worked out okay for him. Mm-hmm. I would say he's probably a great example of his first couple of years. He really did get pushed around a lot. Like yep. it was effective. But yep. now, I, I mean, looking at him, I haven't seen pictures side by side. He's probably a little bigger. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I mean, he's not huge and jacked. Right. But he has learned how to control his body better, anchor. He's not getting... He's not getting moved. Now, did it be- did his bench press increase? Maybe. I, I mean, potentially. Yeah. Like yeah, he, he probably. probably did get yeah, stronger. Probably. But there's a coordination element. There's the ability to use your body to generate stiffness. There's there's so much more that go into not getting pushed around mm. than just get bigger. <laughs> That's a term that I use and that a lot of coaches use is basketball strong. Yeah. Now nobody can really define what basketball strong is. Yes. Like that's a very subjective, you know, question. But, you know, being basketball strong is different than being weight room strong. Now, I will say this. I have some of my guys, some of my high-level guys, front squatting 315. Yeah. Because there's a skill to that, though. You know, upper back strength, ability to squat all the way down and come back up. And if they can do that, great. Then we can work that and we can use it as strength. Yeah. But, again, if you don't meet the prerequisites, you're not doing that. Yeah. You know, so basketball strong, I would explain it like, can you take contact? Can you give contact? Can you hold your position and can you move at a high rate and decelerate? Yeah. If you can do that in terms of strength training, you're going to win on the court. Yeah. And then focus on the skill. Get out of the weight room. Go focus on your game. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Uh, really good philosophy. I know I've picked up a lot just talking to you these last few weeks and on the podcast today. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, where can people find more about you online and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. So I'm huge on Instagram. Uh, that's my baby right now. So just, it's just my name. My handle is just Keith Caulfield. Um, and then on Facebook, just look me up Keith Caulfield. You can also go to the prolane.com. Um, and then you'll see my bio and you'll see some of the things I offer at the prolane as well. Um, but again, I always tell people, if you want to get in touch with me, Facebook and Instagram, I will most likely respond pretty fast. I'm usually on it a lot. Um, but that's where people can find me if they want to reach out. Perfect. We will uh, get those in the show notes. Again, I really appreciate your time. Enjoy the conversation. I think hopefully basketball players will be able to take a lot away from this. Yes, sir. Hey, Dr. Michael here. I want to say a sincere thank you for taking the time to listen to that episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. 
Dr. Brett, Lauren, and I are all extremely passionate about this podcast and trying to use it to help share high-quality, factual information and debunk some of the common myths and misconceptions that we see around athletic performance and rehabilitation. If you have a minute, we would sincerely appreciate you taking the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a teammate, coach, or colleague who you think may benefit. We want as many people to be able to hear and listen to this information as possible. Lastly, if you are on social media, head over to our page at MKE Sports Podcast or at Kinetic underscore SMP to follow us so that you get all the latest information. We love to engage, so leave a comment on this podcast, tell us what you learned, or feel free to ask us a question. We sincerely appreciate all of the support, and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode.